Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling rude. Oof. And I don't mean rude necessarily in the way that we all think about it. I, I'm actually thinking about it in terms of how today's guest describes their work and the way that they will make work to interrupt and exist in between. And there's this concept of rudeness, which I am totally obsessed with. Mm. And you, actually, Russell Tovey, mm -hmm. were the person that first introduced me to today's guest work because you, um, maybe inadvertently, but, but you took me to South London Gallery mm -hmm. for the new contemporary Mm -hmm. a few years ago maybe it was like 2020 or something mm -hmm. and um to see uh whose work was it jake jake, jake rule's work, work was there, yeah because yeah, we were friends with sorry you were friends with jake and we went we went down to see it and then we went across the road into the fire station building and i remember seeing this film and i was finding it really overwhelming that day i don't know if i was stressed out i don't know what was going on that's but not for some like reason, you i know you know what i'm like <laughs> such a drama queen um and rude I, Yes, and rude yes that's very what i am um anyway i walked into this room saw this film and i just it totally blew my mind and it also really um it created through the movement within the film a kind of stillness within me and calmed me down and i just focused on this film and the voice and the the movements and this kind of slowed down dance um and I remember then later hearing about this artist via Arcadia Missa Gallery mm -hmm. because uh, I think they'd started working very young in, in the career of this artist. And then Lindsay Mendick mentioned them. And so many people just kept mentioning this artist to me um, to the point where they ended up in my house at a party because they did a solo show, which was extraordinarily beautiful at uh, Quench Gallery, which is run by Lindsay Mendick and Guy Oliver. So anyway, since then, they, they've shown at the SLG. Uh, they're about to open an incredible body for people oh, sorry the, the south london gallery yes. in peckham which yes. we love. love big shout out to margot heller but they're about to open a new show a, a brand new body of work in bristol at the martin parr foundation and we're going to be exploring that today but they've also uh, in february it was announced their work was entering the tate collections there are so many places you can experience and see their work so we are thrilled and very very proud to welcome to talk art the one and only Rini Matic. Hi, Rini. Hi, thank you for having me. This is amazing. It is a celebration of me. Wow. <laughs> it's all about you, Rini. <laughs> That's exactly how I want it. That will be. How it's going to be. Where are you in the world right now? I am in Dalston in my flat. Um, and I have two dogs around me and a partner in the other room. So sorry if there's ever any noise. But um, Who's yeah. loudest, the dogs or the partner? <laughs> Depends what situation we're in. Oh, okay. <laughs> Aren't we going there, right, already? 
<laughs> so on that on that note, actually, can we discuss the rudeness idea? So so the the way because it's very it's actually in your bio even it's like, in your I manifesto. It, it, it's your manifesto precisely that. So can we start there? I really like it when people remind me of it because it's something that I kind of forget about when I'm working and I'm like no don't don't forget about that thing come back to it in every piece of work every piece of research that I'm doing but yeah I guess rudeness came from the uh rude boy which is kind of like what the skinheads were inspired by my dad identifies as a rude boy and therefore I do as well yeah so I realized that this idea of rudeness could be a really powerful tool in a similar way to Legacy Russell's glitch feminism, but I guess outside of the internet in like, I don't know, what Legacy Russell says AFK, as in away from keyboard, instead of IRL, because obviously it's all real life anyway. But um, yeah, this idea of rudeness as an amazing space to exist in, especially as somebody who is mixed race and therefore in between all of these different identities, I suppose, it's rude. It's immediately rude to be me, whether I like it or not. So it's kind of more of an embracing of that. And um, yeah, I talk about it as in an interruption or an existence in between. And I always loved thinking about my mum. My It's a word that my mum used a lot when we were younger, like, don't be rude, as in mm. when we were interrupting or it was the way that we were taught not to be. We're always taught not to be that. And obviously there's a lot of parts of my identity that I'm taught not to be or not to show. So it's more of an embracing of fucking it up a little bit. And yeah, I've got it tattooed on my arm and my nephew is called Rudy. And it's it's like a full body experience, you know? Why, why would you say for people listening, your existence is rude then? Why, why just to be you is rude? I think that because at most and every part of me is a kind of queering of... Uh, white supremacist heteropatriarchy as bell hooks puts it like you know i'm queer i'm non-binary i'm mixed race i'm like the hashtag future liberals want (laughs) 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 um so i decided to not find a place for me to sit because there isn't really one anyway i'm not uh afforded that so wherever I am, there's a sense of interruption. There's a sense of drawing attention to the fact that, or the world is going, is moving in a place where most people don't want it. Not most people, but you know, uh, I guess like hegemony and like, you know, the status quo don't really want it to move to. So mm. here I am. I always say like, all I had to do was breathe, you know, all I had to do was be born to be, uh rude you know i don't yeah. have to try very hard you know in the past decade there's been this um especially in the kind of left way of thinking in the world um there's been a lot of growth and a lot of education and uh development of feminism as well uh, in terms of like thinking about loads of different people's experiences and how they all intersect mm-hmm. but um i feel like your work has actually really helped to educate me on quite a profound um, number of levels and starting off with that film that I saw you know when you were still a student essentially it was like your kind of your your post-student show isn't it it's like a can you explain what the New Contemporaries is actually for people listening yeah I mean New Contemporaries is kind of I guess you enter into it um so you do like a proposal for a work 
that you feel is worthy and then they either show it or they don't but I guess it's I don't really I don't I'm probably not the best person to describe what new history <laughs> fair. anyway it's something that if you're a young artist definitely look into because it's a great platform yeah absolutely. in terms of getting your work seen and um yeah and it's been going on for decades it's and amazing thing. artists have been shown there and have started off there so it was a real honor and yet it was I think it was 2020 so I graduated that year or like I don't know in quotation marks graduated because I graduated in lockdown um, and from I, Central St. Martins, right? Yeah, from Central yeah. St. Martins. I studied fine art. And so that film was called Brown Girl in the Art World 3. And I had made that in my second year at uni. Um, and I was really interested in these single shot slow motion moments of me dancing because I was interested in fight fighting and dancing as a similar language. And I was looking at that and I noticed that a lot of fight scenes in films are often slowed down so that you can see every single movement and every single kind of conversation that's going on with the bodies that are on screen so that's why all of those I've made a few of those films in that way and so that's why they're always slowed down but I wanted to give people a chance to really look at a body moving um I suppose that when you slow something down it's it's it reaches a point of abstraction but it's also complete clarity at the same time so it has this dichotomy of everything that I explore anyway this rudeness this um at once inside and outside of everything um and so that film I had had for a while because I had driven as I, I speak about it in the film that I'd come across this pub um when I was on a drive with my ex-partner and their family. And it was just there and it said, lease this pub and it had these um, St. George's crosses outside. And I was like, this is this is a stage. This is a stage I have to dance immediately here. So I did that, but then I was tussling around with what audio or what people needed to hear and see. I guess like it's important for me to play on all of the senses in a lot of my work. So it took me a while to figure it out. And then I did, a, I had to go to uni to do a talk about my year in, you know, work and how what I discovered. And I decided to use this film as the visual and the audio then became the uh, the talk that I did at uni. Did you, did, did you always find communicating easy in terms of like talking? Because I was just blown away when I saw that video and heard your voice because the way you speak was so clear and I know that it's it's obviously come from an educational situation of maybe like a crit or a, a discussion like that where you have to be quite accurate and on it and explaining almost like defending your work actually um but but it's it's language something that always came easy to you like expressing yourself like that I wouldn't say so no I've never I've never ever been an academic person at all it took me I've never been able to read very well either um I've not diagnosed dyslexic but my mum's pretty sure from when I was born that <laughs> that was what was going on but um I think that that's why art came first for me because that's the way that I, I suppose, articulated myself. But then I quickly realised that I didn't have to articulate myself very clearly um, through learning how to read more and reading things that didn't quite make sense. But I suppose poetry, you know, things that are not linear, um, I found a voice 
through that. And even though I would say that I am quite quite articulate in that audio, I think that that it has something to do with also what the piece is about, because the piece is about what it means to image a black body and the demands of, uh, I said then that I was a femme, but that's up for discussion now, <laughs> <gender> <laughs> but, but you know, what it meant then to image a black femme queer body and the, and wanting to film myself dancing, but that not being simple because of the gaze and all of the politics that go into looking at this body. Um, but at the same time, the, the fact that I had to articulate myself that well to an audience is part of that as well, because I don't like to articulate myself very well. I don't know how, I don't need to. That's why I'm an artist, you know, I wouldn't, mm. if I knew how to articulate myself, I don't think I would be an artist because mm. being an artist means that a pra an artist practice to me is a continuous exploration and uh, question asking and answering and it never really ends. And yeah, I, 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 I don't really ever know what's going on properly. So I think that I'm glad that, <laughs> that um, yeah, you think that I can articulate myself well. That's I think so. I, th I, think we, I think what you're saying is that when words aren't enough, that's where the art starts. But then also now you have to, words aren't enough so you make the art, but now you have to talk about the art that words weren't enough for. So that's kind of, <laughs> so yeah. it's quite oh, hard. <laughs> so th this pub, Lisa's pub that had these George Crosses outside, what was it about that that made you feel compelled to move in front of why was it the gaze from this particular pub and this absolute Britishness what is it about that uh I'm just very drawn to it as as uh what's the word a contradiction I think that that's what I'm talking about when I say rudeness as well you know I am a contradiction to a lot of the narratives that surround um Britishness and nationalism and you know fascism um and this pub as an image gives everything that I am not and yet I am because that's my culture pub a working class pub culture with you know with celebrations of uh Britishness is something that I've grown up around and yet to have my body in that space doesn't quite look the way that people would expect that kind of celebration to look I suppose um and, you know, I'm not saying that I celebrate that, but I celebrate the fact that I can, yeah, contradict all of the narratives surrounding what being British should be, I suppose. And there's an amazing part where a woman from inside the pub, it seems, appears yeah. in the right-hand corner. Yeah. So you've got this kind of representation of the white gaze, yeah. as well as your ex-partner who was actually filming it and apparently speaking and directing you almost to encourage you because that day you were knackered. Exactly. And, and yeah. you were, I think you described yourself as being sort of like lazy or, or yeah, something Yeah, I was like being that. lazy because yeah. there's, a, yeah, there's, a, there's a, a kind of, yeah, and surrounding me is this gaze already within uh within the physical space that I'm in and then also you know whoever is looking at the film so yes the person who comes and looks at me is really interesting because it gives that exact moment of you can see her her thinking what is this person doing why are they here do I need to do something about mm. it 
Um, and you know that is rude. You're yeah, being rude. Is she, be, is she being rude? Is she taking the piss, yeah. or is yeah. she? Yeah. Being rude. Or they? Sorry, are they being rude? Are they okay. taking the piss? Yeah, I'll yeah, yeah. Me then, Russ. Don't worry. Okay, okay. <laughs> that's what that woman would have been thinking. Yeah, that's what, yeah. exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes, so yes. you can see the kind of cogs turning already. And the most amazing thing is that I'm not interrupted. Um, thank God. Although I guess I am because I'm my image being me and the surrounding, she comes into it and then leaves. And it's like, you know, that's, there's lots of parts to that work that I think I would like to explore further. Obviously when you make a work, when you're, I don't know how old I was, 22, 21, um, you don't, you know, when I make any work, it I literally have no idea what's going on until it's up and it's out and people are looking at it and or it's like years after and you know so that work still continues to give me something um and yeah I I've been past that pub recently and it didn't have the St George's crosses and it looked completely different so it was like you know that moment is really exists in that in that film I really liked that though because I I heard you sort of deliberately were like we have to stop we have to do this now because you recognized that that might not that those flags won't be there for much longer or whatever it won't be that moment and I loved the kind of um you know when you're an artist and you're you're beginning to make your work how it's all consuming and how how it really is every single thing you think about every minute of every day and that's what I thought it represented for me the fact that you're looking for that stage you're looking for that location all the time constantly yeah and- and I think it's looking for me as well. And that's why the least this pub was, hmm. you know, it was an invitation. It was an invitation, exactly. But what you say about, yeah, the, the immediacy of it, I'm really interested in these ideas of, especially in queerness, spaces that we in, inhabit that, that kind of don't exist unless we're there. You know, a dance floor, for instance, or, um, I mean, I guess any, any, it's like, if a tree falls in the wood and you're not there to hear it or whatever, mm. that's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you activate a space by exactly. you being present. That space becomes mm-hmm. activated by your body. Absolutely. As a very generous thing to do, I think. I think that that's something that we don't recognise that often is that queerness and blackness being present in a space is very generous because there's a violence to being outside of safety and you know that's I'm an immediately you know uh unsafe when I'm in that car park but it's something about the framing of it that gives I don't know it gives that I give the safety back to myself because I'm making something from it I suppose did you did you feel unsafe making it was that part of the energy uh, yeah and I think that that it's not necessarily an unsafeness but I have a huge anxiety when making I, I only ever really make work by myself. Like I did for the film for South London Gallery of my dad. I shot that all by myself and I only had my partner with me at the time because I, I just can't work if there's eyes or like energy and especially white eyes and white energy around me. And obviously I had uh, my ex-partner's mum, granny and them with me and that's why I wasn't performing to the way that I would perform say if I was by myself so if I'm in a living room I'm dancing I can give it energy 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 or if I'm in a club I suppose I can give energy energy but then I just it was not coming out of me because there's a a knowing that you know a kind of 
Um, yeah, I guess maybe, yeah, maybe an unsafeness. I don't know. You can't be unguarded in the moments. Yeah, that is a protection of the self that is constantly present. And um, so that's why, yeah, I talk about it in the film that my partner was saying, Rini, you need to, you know that you need to get this shot. You know you need to get this shot and you're not doing it in the way that you want to do it. And that's because I couldn't perform in the way I wanted to perform. But we got the most out of it. <laughs> so we talked about this manifesto and, and rudeness comes up. But something really beautiful in there, which I've really connected to, is the fact that you see the privileges in queer intimacies, partnerships and pleasures. The fact that you see that the privilege of that. Or there's, I think you said in a, in a chat with Emma Dabry, who we love, you feel so privileged in my unprivilegedness. Absolutely. And I, I adore that because I, I've recently been thinking about what it is to be queer and always being told that the one in 10 seen as a negative. And lately I've started thinking, well, hang on a minute, if I'm the one in 10, then that makes me special, doesn't it? Doesn't it mean I've, it means I've been chosen. <laughs> yeah. Out of 10 beige, normal like existences. <laughs> and I've been picked to have like a different existence for everyone else. So that, make, that means I'm the lucky one, doesn't exactly. it? And spinning that, and I really connected to you finding the privileges you know it's like in that new Beyonce song where it says um there's a there's a sound bite where she's used somebody's voice from history I think like a queer man probably mm -hmm. um and it goes beige fluorescent beige yeah exactly and that, that's what you are Ralph <laughs> you're fluorescent <laughs> beige neon, neon beige the guy that I'm dating right now he actually said that's his favorite line out of anything Absolutely. he's heard in years fluorescent that, beige that is honestly one of the most incredible lines because my mum growing up struggled with us identifying as black which is something in and of itself that is like a whole a she whole never thing. letting you call yourself black right no exactly and you know there's something to be said I, I speak about it a lot in the Emma Dabbery um in conversation at South London Gallery but to be called fluorescent so I so we would call ourselves beige because that's what she preferred she felt like by saying that we were beige it it involved her um in our existence which is as a white mother as a white mother exactly yeah. and you know I have a lot of empathy um a lot of rage but a lot of empathy for what what that means from her and to be called fluorescent beige is like there we go you know um <laughs> but yeah I mean I think you know James Baldwin says something like um those who do not suffer cannot grow up and it is a privilege to have you know not to I don't want to romanticize um oppression in any kind of way but it's you know we've got to deal with what we've got and I want to be a happy person um in this world and and I want to grow up I don't want to be stunted I have had periods of time in my life where things have felt impossible that I couldn't be outside and I couldn't imagine myself outside of the situation that I'm in. Bell Hooks talks about that, which I'm obsessed with. Imagining the self outside of the situation you're in. That is survival. That is how we've moved things forward. Um, and that is growing up. And I'm learning that a lot every day. <laughs> do you think, do you think as queer people, we have to grow up quicker than other people? I would say so. Yeah. I think, in some ways, but then, you know, there's also moments where I look around and I'm like, we're, we haven't grown. And also there's like- We're all Peter Pan, aren't we? Yeah, we're yeah, but yeah. <laughs> grow up, um, <laughs> which is gorgeous. And, you know, at Trans Pride yesterday, 
um, in London Trans Pride, I can see all of these different, very childlike energies from everybody. And that is where we should be almost moving towards, I suppose. There's a big, there's a seriousness in queerness that I am, um, it's important, but it it doesn't serve us at all times. Like who does that serve actually? Um, and I was speaking to Ajamu X recently, the photographer, about how when queerness was, this is his words, when queerness moves into academia, it became sanitized and I can't stop thinking about that because I'm like, it's it's true. There's a, a a lacking in like naivety. It's like we have to have everything figured out and everything has to be squeaky clean. You and can't be rude anymore. You can't be rude. And this is a Jamu who's the patron saint of dark rooms. Exactly. You know, he's saying this. this yeah. That is the ultimate rudeness. That is exactly. like exactly, yeah. exactly. And you know, that to me was like, wow, you're so right. I've been trying to find the words for what what like tension I have and it's that it's I want it to be dirtier as it should be uh, yeah because it kind of takes the life out of it mm-hmm. somehow it becomes lifeless and it becomes joyless yeah. and it becomes sexless actually it almost sexless. like That's it I, takes it yeah of course Ajami was talking about it with that lens but like it is if something is fixed it doesn't grow it does not grow up like that's where you know it needs to it needs to be limitless it needs to be yeah allowed to be dirty in a bit um yeah rude yeah there's another line and i think in maybe in that first film in one of your films i think mm-hmm. where it says something about being a having the agency or or, or power to be yourself mm-hmm. will lead to liberation yeah is that your work it is your work yeah that is mine that was i think it was me quoting janet um, oh, Janet Mock. Janet no. Mock, yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. yeah. Um, was, yeah. I can't remember what the quote is, but yes, it will lead to some kind of liberation. And getting back to queerness as well in terms of the community, um, I was reading Sophie K. Rose's book, Queer Intimacy. I don't know if you guys have read that yet. I have it, but I haven't read it. I haven't read it, read it all, but it's um, really amazing. And um, she speaks about friendships and relationships as a potential for emancipation. The whole book is kind of about like, we need to we need to reframe our ideas about intimacy because, you know, the the heteronormative kind of... Um... Oh, 2.4 children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, that doesn't serve us at all. And, you know, we, again, I think it's a conversation that, um, that I really love between, ah, oh, I can't remember. I can't remember their name. Anyway, this idea that, you know, I keep my, we keep our family safe and you keep your family safe. And then we've got two safe families. And like in queerness, I think that there's this moment where we could have this intimacy and this romance that leads to some kind of emancipation. It doesn't mean that we have to all be, you know, in our tight monogamous relationships Mm. yeah interesting you know like i i said um you know when you first sort of fall in love with somebody or you start dating somebody i spoke to a friend last night about it because i'm sort of starting to date somebody and i was just saying like how hard i find it um and it's not like a sexual thing it's not kissing or anything like that it's just like sitting on the sofa 
with with a guy holding their hand walking to the beach just doing really simple things even like i don't know sitting at home having breakfast together i find that really hard so much so it even made me cry and then i told my friend the other day and they were saying oh no but it's such a wonderful thing falling in love and i was like yeah but weirdly i really struggle with it and i like the person i'm dating and i'm going to keep dating them but it's like what what is that about and she said maybe it's because when you were growing up you felt like you couldn't have it you know because you were seeing your straight friends being able to hold hands at school when you were 10 or something or 13 yeah, and, we weren't allowed. and maybe you weren't able to in the 80s well we had section so 28 didn't we we were just almost, being yeah, brain, brainwashed that we, that wasn't yeah. for us and we that was a choice that we were not if even that it was a choice that we were making and we were not allowed to make that but i found it quite powerful this idea that those simple expressions which should every everyone should have a right to and a you know should experience a, a troublesome yeah. for me. It's yeah. like yeah, it's mad. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm I'm also dating somebody. I think it is definitely you know people who grew up with Section Twenty Eight and people who didn't. There's a big difference in how we move through the world in our visible, visibly queer relationships. Like if I'm on the tube with my partner, I want to snog. And they're like, ah! What, is, the, is the tube a big fetish for you then? You love the tube. <laughs> I, love, <laughs> I love tube. Many more films to come. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, you know, if we're in more public spaces, uh, they struggle a bit more with intimacy. And um, I guess PDA, not intimacy, because I think that you can be intimate without, you know, snogging someone's face off. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and I realised that that was because they're six years older than me and the what they are used to or what they have, I guess, uh, yeah, have been oppressed by is is different to what I've been oppressed by as a queer person. So, mm. I mean, I've definitely, you know, I fucking, I fucking know that people are looking at me, but I guess that, I guess it's the confidence that is different. And, you know, there's always potential for a hate crime or, you know, something yeah. that there's confidence. But you feel allowed there's a confidence you're like I'm allowed to take up this space I'm allowed to do what I'm doing now where there's I think there is a certain generation I think it's in us in our core beliefs that we're not allowed we don't have permission to exist how we want to exist so we have to adapt and be how society is telling us is acceptable if we are going to choose this we have to be the acceptable mode of that there's also moments as well though Rob like where if that is the case if you have realized that then that's okay what do you enjoy doing and you can do that you don't have to force yourself in well well actually I I told him yeah. I actually told him and I had tiny little tears in my eyes and I said <laughs> I just have to tell you I'm struggling that's with this that's so dramatic it, no but it was just like it wasn't dramatic at the time tiny it was just quite tears. sad all right I know well it's my way of delivering it <laughs> but anyway I told him and it's been really brilliant since because I told him and he he actually took it as like being me being really vulnerable and being honest and that that honesty he then oh. found really yeah so it's 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 all worked out in the end you know talking about the tube made me think of wolfgang tillman's photos of the tube where he took pictures of all his friends yeah and the armpit and there's the tube is an amazing location actually and princess julia i think he put amazing pictures of her um, on the the tube tube. i love those yeah Yeah. exactly really cool it's an amazing space because it is constantly changing which is you know quite i mean yeah in that quick succession it's almost like uh, I don't know, a brain with lots of thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so people come into your work, they would be right in thinking it's highly autobiographical. Yes, I would say so. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know how to do anything else, but also it's it's all I can do as 
it keeps me alive, you know, in the same way that Tracy Emin says, you know, I honestly, if I'm not, the way that I move through my life is, is with this constant thing of, is what work can I make from this? I suppose like there's always something that can come from, from any small moment, any small tear. But yeah. Any small tear coming from your eyes. It's, <laughs> do you walk around with a camera attached to you the whole time? Yeah, most of the time. I mean, I obviously it depends on where I am, but yeah, I've mostly, and that's only out of, I, the cameras I have are from for convenience so that I can have them on me at all times. I don't really know much about the technological side of photography. It is just anything that I can use quickly that I that will look the way that I want it to look. So yeah, I do, but mostly, you know, I I think that that's where my writing comes into it is when I don't have a camera, you know. So I write about what I'm seeing and then maybe if there's a picture that says the same thing. I got asked the other day because I have some um, pieces of text in the Martin Parr show and I was asked why I showed the photos and the text next to each other and I didn't really know and then I realised that it's just different languages speaking the same about the, sp the same thing you know different languages within myself which yeah I guess just gives it a more well-rounded conversation and if you think of your visual language you said how I want it to look what how would you describe that or what is it you are looking for I think I think it's not necessarily what I'm looking for but what's looking at me mostly and I was thinking the other day about, again, Ajami was saying, you know, we should create images that we want to see. And I was like, this is absolutely true. But there's a lot of images in my work, especially ones of Britishness, especially ones of like, you know, Uni and Jacks and stuff like that. They're not necessarily images that I want to see, but they're images that are shown to me already. So I think that, you know, I always say, even though I can't be there, physically to explain things to people I always want to remind them that in my photography I'm the one looking first I'm the one who whose gaze you should be looking through at everything um because then I think that that brings into it like what yeah is this an image that I want to see or is it not an image that I want to see you know there's a constant back and forth and putting showing those images Together, I think I enjoy and it makes me feel, it makes me understand my own position because it is that kind of being privileged in your unprivilegedness, you know, recognising where the location of all of this queer energy is and that location might not be safe and it might not be um, welcoming and it might be violent and it might be, othering and it might be all of this stuff but then there is this gorgeous thing that happens in between the rudeness you know so I like to do both and so yeah having a camera on me at all times is important but definitely certain places and locations I am more sure to have one with me. I really feel the energy of Nan Golding through your practice um, one of her titles of her, one of her books is Let Me Be Your Mirror and you talking about how you want people to see the work through your lens and how we see Nan Golding's world and how she captures her friends and family and it's so autobiographical and her photography is her diary. And I feel like you really, uh, is she someone you look to and do you feel like your work is your diary? 
Yeah, I would say so. But not only mine, it's, you know, the people that I love. That's my goal, to have this archive and evidence of the people that I love. And I think that Nan's work is amazing and you recognise that she is present. You are looking through her gaze. You're very aware of that when you look at the images because of the love that she has for the people that she's photographing. And I'd never, ever photograph people or places that I'm not familiar with or that I don't have some kind of relationship with emotionally for that reason. So you wouldn't do commissions like a... Well, not really. So that's with the Martin Park was was a commission. And Martin really wanted me to take photos in Bristol because that's where the foundation is. And I was like, no, I cannot do that. I've been, I've never been to Bristol. I don't, I don't know what that is. And Martin has been amazing. And he was like, you can do this. There's a way that you can do this. And he drove me around in his car one day in Bristol. (laughs) He he had like mobility issues at the time. So he couldn't walk around with me, but he would just stop his car and say, walk around this place. (laughs) And then I was like, okay, Martin Parsh or, so I did that and I looked at St. Paul's and you know, the places where there's more of a Caribbean presence. And I was just like, but I'm still a voyeur here. And it just is not, it's sticky, it's too, yeah, the voyeurism is too loud and I don't wouldn't do anything justice. So when I remembered that Travis was from Bristol and had moved back to Bristol in lockdown, I was like, okay, okay, here's my love. You know, here it is. And so I decided to do the whole show on Travis. And it's been a wonderful, wonderful experience. I've got a voice note from Travis here I can play. While... Yeah, so this is Travis Alabanza. Have they already done the voice note? Oh, my God. Writer, playwright, performer, has just actually acted with Russell in a Derek Jarman um, blue now. We've performed that together. Okay, so I'm going to play this in. Hi, I'm Travis Alabanza. I'm a writer and a performer. And Rini has made me their subject. I guess me and Rini have known each other or been in the same orbit because we were both like, well, we're still young in it, but like we were both even younger queer artists of colour that were kind of coming up in a scene at the time where lots of different collectives and people were in conversations with each other or knew each other's work. So even though I don't really make work in gallery spaces, like we were connecting and I guess, inspired and looking at each other's work for a long time and would be friends in the club and bump into each other through mutuals. And what's really nice is that, like, we've been pals in that kind of way for a while and Rini wanted to do something where it brought us closer together. And so I asked to take photos of me, but the issue was is that I said, babes, all I do is stay at home when I'm not at work and just go to the pub with my mates. I mean, he was like, well, we'll come and take pics of that. And it's really nice to have that side of my life documented rather than like all the stage photos, even if it is hard to be on camera without a really good makeup artist. But there you go. Yeah, it was quite weird having to be the subject and not like in charge. I find it really hard to like let go of that kind of thing. It was just quite vulnerable. Like we went back to where I grew up. And like to the different areas and stuff of Bristol. I grew up on a council estate that I don't live in in Bristol anymore. And it was quite interesting that I hadn't processed a lot of things about growing up there that then kind of came out in the wash by showing someone else around. Um, But it was really lovely and it was kind of gorgeous days out and hopefully like the start of like 
long-term collaboration, which was nice. And I think that's what's amazing about Rini's work is like it feels like archiving rather than forced photos. So it kind of was just hanging out and then the photos are like a reminder of that hanging out. So that was um, that was Travis talking about uh, an exhibition you have coming up titled A Girl for the Living Room. Yes. Yeah, and everything that they say I echo as well. It was, yeah, again, not something, you know, I was hugely anxious when I made the film about my dad, just focusing on one subject and actually asking that vulnerability from somebody because I'm used to asking it of myself. I know how to deal with myself. I can do all of that. But asking it of someone else is, um, it's a big deal. And so I was very grateful that they said yes. Um, but yeah, it was, the plan was to get to know each other, you know, and that's all. And get to know each other outside of the dance floor, which is where a lot of, uh, queer trans people of colour meet and actually relationships kind of sometimes only just exist in that dance floor and that's beautiful and that's enough um, but I think post lockdown a lot of those relationships felt really far away and I was uh, like a lot of actually quite a few people that I had met in the club I kind of pulled our relationships out which I was very grateful for and I hadn't done that with Travis and so I thought let's do this in this time. We're both a similar age, similar, as we've been getting to know, similar gender even, similar queerness, similar everything. And so, yeah, the goal was to just see what love looks like outside and outside of the dance floor on purpose. You know, I keep coming back to the word intentional when I'm talking about the show. Um, it was, it's, I guess, yeah, I guess maybe the first work that I've made um, involving photography that has been on purpose um, and for a reason uh, other than it just being in the moment. Obviously, the whole thing has been in the moment and gorgeous and kind of spontaneous, but I knew the whole time and they knew the whole time that we were creating something together. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com You know. And there's an amazing quote that's um, in the text that accompanies the forthcoming exhibition, which said, um, you're developing relationship as it became lit by a table lamp instead of a disco ball. And I thought that was just such a great line. I mean, that's like a poem in itself. Yeah, I mean, it was part of it is part of a poem that I wrote for the show. So that was quoted in the text. But I think I've just been interested in I'm, I'm all I've always been interested in the dance floor and dance spaces 
and um, especially in terms of subculture and what they produce and what they can be and have been for queer people and working class people um, and to people of different races. But the, that is imaged quite a lot, especially with black trans people. It's almost as if you exist as a performance, as a dancer, as a, you know, someone to give constantly and that is amazing and those we feel celebrated in those spaces and we're imaged as celebrating but it's like there's a tiredness and I've been thinking a lot and wondering about if if photographing a body is an opportunity for that body to rest I don't know but there's something in taking the relationship outside of like onto the streets, onto the living, into the living room, into a domestic space that is quiet and a space of rest. I don't think that those images exist very much um, at the moment, I would say, in, in what we're seeing um, of queerness in the media and stuff like that. But yeah, I've also, um, I've been reading a book called There's a Disco Ball Between Us by Jafari S. Allen. I don't know if that's how you pronounce their name but they talk about the disco ball as this amazing thing that is you know you were saying about who who was it that wrote the book about mirrors what did you say Nan Golden let me be your Nan, mirror oh yeah yeah Nan Golden let me be your mirror um but the disco ball is multiple mirrors and that's such a blessing for us and that moves away from this fixedness that I'm unhappy with and it moves it means that even with a disco ball and with mm. light hitting a disco so ball. fragmented isn't it that's almost a yeah. metaphor for the people that are enjoying the music enjoying the lights absolutely there's many mirrors to that and there's wow. many opportunities um and a limitlessness that we are granted that is you know the most precious thing and the thing that we're asking for that's all we're ever asking for in terms of you know liberation just to be granted the multitudes of the self and so i absolutely love the dance place and the disco ball and all of that. But there's also, what what if we take mirrors away and we are just by ourselves? You know, I can't, we can't, I can't come away from that, unfortunately, because I am there with a camera. And you know, when a camera is present, there's always, um, you can't, there's not really a loneliness ever uh, when a camera is present. But I just wanted to, I just, I just wanted to, explore that a bit further and see if we can still have a moment of celebration outside of the moments of performance I suppose. How long did it take? Were you together for a weekend or did you do it? We did we've just done like I mean because of Travis's schedule is mad because they're so booked and busy as they should be. Booked um, and blessed yeah. We, yeah but <laughs> it was, um, basically I think I approached them in 2022 started off seeing them without asking them if they could be present. I I would kind of come to wherever they were, like a book signing or something like that. And I guess just start feeling it out. And also just to, we didn't, we don't know each other. We didn't know each other that well. So just to be in each other's orbit a bit more. Um, and that was, yeah, 2022. And then most of the pictures of 2023 where we've hung out probably about five times in different occasions, different locations between London and Bristol when we could and when Travis I guess when was Travis free. was ready, yeah, was also, and also ready because it, it, it was a vulnerable, yes, um, experience for both of us. You work on digital film, right? 
No, 35 millimeters. Oh, you do? Oh, wow. Yeah. And how many images are in the exhibition? Do you know? Oh, my God. I actually don't know. I think like 20, maybe like 28, I think. Um, I'm not sure, though. But obviously, there was a lot to choose from um, because they, they do give. And that's the thing about someone like Travis is they they perform for work, but they are they give and they give and they give. And I suppose that that's why they like spending time at home. And, you know, I, I will never be able to infiltrate that moment for them on purpose because that is them alone in their space to not be witnessed, you know? So there's, I guess it's more of an in-between stage. It's not Travis, you know, relaxing completely, but it's not Travis having to, uh kiki the house down you know for a gaze and there's definitely a tenderness in the photos i think um which is different to a kind of connection you might have in a club environment i imagine there's something about the table lamp as you described it that just creates this different atmosphere and it did remind me of some of the work um in the tate collection now um congratulations, yeah, congratulations. wonderful it's at the tate britain the new rehang it's amazing Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! You can actually see it at Tate Britain. But there's one in particular, a mutual friend of ours, um, Chidera Egaru. So it's called um, Chidi doing Rini's hair from 2019. Um, so that's that's another one of those sort of. There's a there was a show recently in Margate at the gallery um, called uh, To Be Held, curated by Rona McKenzie, and it included an artist I think it's from Bristol actually called Naomi Williams. And these were like domestic photos of her with her sister um, in 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 the domestic situation where they're sharing space. I think they're called shared spaces. And one of them's reading like Queenie the book, and the other's learning to play the flute on the bed. They're these really beautiful, tender portraits, and they really made me think about the tenderness in in your work the other way around like when I saw their work it made me think they should look at you because I already knew but um but yeah but can you talk a bit about that as well and like Chidera yeah I mean Chidi and I have been friends for a very long time and we have a really special relationship one of care I think um mostly and care and love and we actually spent a lot of time together privately in in my flat um, or their flat or her flat. And um, it's been just a beautiful relationship. And her doing my hair was, I think my Maggie took that. Um, and it was just one of our evenings together where we would just, I would probably cook or something. And Chidira loves my dogs. So mostly Chidira would just come round and dance with the dogs in the mirror um, and not talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> but that kind of moment of, especially for Chidira as well, who has quite a high following and a, and is being watched constantly to see, yeah, her be still or not still, because that's also something that is confusing to me. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm also just to ask you guys, what do you, do you think a body can rest in an image? Yeah, I don't know, actually, because... Well, it's, it's everything, isn't it? Like acting or, or, you know, dance or anything that's filmed. If you have a camera present, the, the trick is that you forget about it. So you can be in that moment. But you never do because you're aware of angles. You're aware of 
being captured, being heard, being seen. There are all these things. I guess if you set up a Big Brother situation where you just put the cameras in the house and left and then you had like CCTV monitoring, maybe you might be able to capture it then. But even so, unless if the subject knew that, they would still also have a, a, like an edit. But even if they were sleeping and not, not yeah, I guess. you know, conscious, they're still going to be moving. I remember that the, so David Beckham, Sam Taylor Wood, where he was sleeping and everybody went to see it. Yeah. There was... It was kind of. But you know, yeah. um, what, it, what it might do is photography can make the viewer still. Because I, I feel like with f- photographs, I often stop dead. And then your brain is worrying, but your actual physicality, you can be quite still. Stillness is such an interesting It idea. is in terms of, yeah, any, any, like, is it even possible? It's kind of, uh, it's not really. Is, yeah is it even it's a very thing? private isn't it stillness yeah it's so private and it's on so many different levels because as you say you can stop still but your your brain is moving but I think that the thing for me is I don't claim to I don't know maybe yeah maybe I shouldn't I don't know I need to reframe that and think more about it but there's with people that I'm photographing especially now that they know me more as a as a photographer there's an awareness of the self constantly so Chidira doing my hair and us having that moment of tenderness both of us have an awareness that that moment means something um because it means something to us and therefore for uh, are happy for that to be frozen in a moment um and I think that any it's the same with the Travis collaboration Travis has a, a huge awareness of themselves and that's why they knew what we were doing and why we should be doing it and anyone that I take pictures of there's an awareness but mainly that's where the love comes in we have a mutual awareness of each other and that I think is what I try and show um how do the, how do the they how do all the people in your photographs feel about being on gallery walls and as you get more successful and now you're in the Tate collection and they're being seen by so many people and Travis for example obviously is a performer so they are probably a lot more comfortable with that but some of the people you're photographing are not performers they're people that are in your life and now they're in the public arena and they're only going to get more and more seen some of these photos are incredibly iconic of Maggie uh, in the cafe and Maggie with with different color hair through different processes. I mean, these these photos, like Nangoldian subjects, will end up becoming like images that are just burned into the retinas of of all of us. How do they f- feel about that? As like, do you, do you, is everyone collectively supportive, or is there sort of a slight friction at times now as as it's going bigger? I'm not really sure, to be honest. I think you'd have to ask them, but there's definitely people who I have. I guess more of an archive with that are more aware of what's going on and know where they're gonna end up. And I guess we consent. They they consent. Everybody consents. I, yeah, you yeah. know, um, Maggie is an amazing figure in the work because that series that Tate have is from flags for countries that don't exist but bodies that do. And Maggie kind of punctuates the time with different hair, different outfits, different moods and that's an amazing archive of a life and a love between us and I think that everybody knows that this is obviously I show my love in lots of different ways but this is a huge way that I show my love to them and I guess an appreciation and a thank you 
you know it really is like a thank you for this all of this thank you for giving me these these images in between the ones that I don't want to see I I feel like that's why I connect with your work though I think it's really about human connection humanity and not just love but this tenderness that I mentioned before but maybe also just connection and and a kind of document of a life you know in a really honest beautifully open raw way actually yeah I that thank you yeah I hope so um it's you know I really I when I started taking photos I really had no idea what I was doing um until the images come back to me which is why I like working on 35 millimeter because there's a gap between the moment and then when I see that moment again um and I never really know what is going on (laughs) um I guess that's why I take pictures. Maybe I'm not actually that present in the moment because I'm always thinking about other things. Maybe that's my way of remembering, you know. Do you, do you think there's a role as a curator somehow? Like once you get these images that somehow it becomes like collaging something together in terms of an exhibition you know I know you're the artist but but as the artist you are also curating this world this narrative trying to make sense of your life absolutely yeah like when I'm installing photography I need there's I mean I guess there was South London Gallery when we had the one room of the flag series and then the other day when I was in Bristol installing the Martin Parr show I need to be by myself and it takes me a really long time I always think you know I had image prints out of all of the Travis photos on this wall and I was moving them around and I thought that I'd figured it out and they were tiny but then when I saw them printed and framed I was like the the conversations between these images can be different depending on where they are and in the room you know and with each other and who's who's next to who and so then it took me about two hours to figure out before anything goes on the wall what who's talking to who in these in these um photos and I've noticed a lot within my work there's always things come in pairs the quench show was very much that there was a pair of coats a pair of uh chairs a pair of notes next to each other and it always seems that the relationships that I'm having with these people come through even in the way that I install them so there always is a conversation between two people happening um in the space I suppose which is like happened when I'm taking the, fi- the pictures and actually the the quench show it, w- it was a really interesting installation because it actually had kind of everyday objects like coats yeah um and even like were they hair braids or something oh that was oh yeah that was it my brothers and mine's baby blankets the oh, baby blankets. Okay. yeah yeah they were all knotted up yeah um yeah exactly you know there's always that was that those works were called reserved for Zach and Rini because my brother's called Zach and that was giving a moment of reservation for a conversation to happen the chairs were called reserved for mum and dad you know it's this constant thing of maybe imagined conversations that actually I think I have mostly between myself that maybe I wish that that I'm trying to have when I take photos and maybe it's not verbalized but it's communicated in another way. Do you have a dark room? Do you have somewhere you process the photos? No, I don't. I get them sent off, but I'm learning soon how to do that because, again, um, speaking to Ajami, they were talking about uh, this idea of pleasure within um, the work, that they 
uh, prioritize pleasure, you know, and that's, I guess, what I'm always trying to do. And they prioritize pleasure through their whole practice. So from start to finish being, I think they say that photography prioritizes the visual and for them to get a, a full experience, a sensual experience, the dark room becomes, you know, the smells and the touch and everything yes. like that. So they're the chemicals and yeah, which poppers. Is, I think I think Ajama said they reminded the poppers. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is there's a photo of Travis and I doing poppers in my show actually. Excellent. I love that. <laughs> um and you know, so I'm interested in that as a full working practice in photography. I guess I have pleasure from start to finish because I'm, you know, surrounded by people um and having a nice time and living my life, I suppose, but also not having a nice time sometimes. So there isn't pleasure really in every aspect of the work, but it's about ending up in pleasure and the goal being pleasure. Um, but yeah, so I would really, I generally said that I should go and learn how to, at least yes. if I don't use it. Amazing. Yeah, of course. You know, like, I, I read a quote yesterday via Nadia from Pussy Riot because we spoke to her last week and I'd been chatting to her a bit. And there's this Felix Gonzalez Torres quote that said, um, aesthetics is politics. The problem with political art is that it had a look which was too easy to dismiss. We should rescue beauty and pleasure, repossess beauty for our own ends and reinterpret it for our own purposes. And I thought that was such a beautiful statement. And what a great artist he was anyway. But like this idea that you know that beauty and pleasure can be sort of reclaimed or something absolutely and yeah by queerness Felix Gonzalez Torres as well you know was one of the first artists that I saw when I was younger that I was like okay like because of the delicacy of the work and the beauty immediately you see beauty you know um before you even recognize what it's about and then it kind of <clears throat> it kind of yeah has the potential to punch you in the fucking face you know and that is I think a real goal of mine to yeah I don't know obviously there's a lot of conversation it's in terms of what how good is representation what is representation what do we need from it and what can it give us um and I think that I'm always a bit wary that my work is maybe too nice, too good to look at, too pleasant on the eye. And I think I speak about that in the brown girl in the art world, you know, that the image of me dancing is really easy to look at because it looks, it's, it's lovely, you know, it, it is beautiful. But then I guess with the audio, I'm drawing attention to the fact that, yeah, this is beautiful, but there's tension. And I think that with yeah any of my photos or any of the other work that I make I'm always trying to there's a luring in that I think is bless that you can do with beauty um and yeah I don't know what do you think about it I think what you said is brilliant okay <laughs> <laughs> I um I always want to ask about like how you are finding, how you're coping with success. Like we've just said, you're in the new Tate Britain rehang, you're in the National Collection, you've got this great exhibition opening up at the Martin Parr space, and Martin Parr, a, a photographer who's well known for his con constant exploration of what Britishness is. Um, and big shout out to Roja Farkas, who runs Arcadia Missa. We love yes, Roja. She's just the <laughs> best, best yeah. gallerist, best gallery. She's actually a previous talk guest on Talk that's right. So if you look in the archive way back, I think in the pandemic or something, yeah. and, one of our really early guests. And she's obviously doing an incredible job of you, and she's so proud of all of our artists and so proud of you. What 
does how are you coping with that and what are your ambitions going forwards are there like are there dreams is there an international representation thing on the horizon yeah i mean roja we i met roja um when i was protesting the luke willis thompson turner prize nomination with babes uh, which was a dance and art dj collective that doesn't exist anymore but i had written an essay for galdan about my uncomfortability with Luke Willis-Thompson's um, nomination. And then Babes decided, because Babes got asked to DJ the turn and fries, we had an in. So we, it was it was a you know, quiet protest. We just wore t-shirts that said, black pain is not for profit. And it was the same time that Jesse Darling's Art Now was opening. So Roja was in the Art Now space and I was speaking to Jesse and Roja came over and I was like, who are you? And then, I got asked to write for, oh, I think they put the essay in How to Sleep Faster, which is the Arcadia Missa publication that they do. Um, and then from them, our relationship started, but I was, I think, 21, maybe. Um, so we've been, I, I've, I've always been a baby. <laughs> I'm still a baby now, I've just turned 26, but we've had a relationship from a long time where she's been aware of, maybe potential you know my potential and where I could go and but mainly the help that I needed to get there as uh especially as a marginalized person you know she has just been absolutely incredible and when I graduated in lockdown I didn't have a degree show um and the film that I had made for my degree show which was in the quench show Roja put it on the Arcadia Mesa website as a like a solo presentation and I think that that was really you know, where I realised that the professional relationship was just as beautiful as, you know, the friendship friendship relationship. Um, but yeah, so she's absolutely done wonders for me. Um, and I think we just make a good team. You know, we it really is about the people that you're surrounded by. I would not be um, as confident in myself and my work if it wasn't for Rose. She was the first one to tell me that my photos were was artworks in the first place um and we did the book together of series one of flags and then we did a show in 2022 was it yeah um and that's when things started popping off you know and i was like wow okay this is this is really what i always wanted this is what this is the beginning of it now. And everything that happens to me so far still feels like the beginning because it is. I'm 26. I'm very new, but a lot of goals have already been reached. Being put in the Tate Collection, I they 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 bought the work three years ago or two years ago. From Freeze, wasn't it? From Freeze, yeah. yeah. But then, you know, which is incredible in itself, but then never would I imagine that they would hang it you know, this soon. Um, I think I'm the youngest person in the Tate Collection. I've just changed my bio on Instagram to the youngest artist in the in world. In the world. <laughs> That's what I get told. But I'm constantly reminded by all of my peers and everybody, you know, Arcadia Missa and everybody that know and loves me that I am very young. <laughs> and, you know, I'm also aware of that myself and I have felt the pressure immensely, especially when Tate bought the work. I think it was a moment where I realised that rest was not going to come for a long time and I've got to continue to make which I would anyway but continue to make the work that I make but now with more eyes on me and therefore pressure you know 
but also do do remember to carve out rest because actually that's one of the most important things as well because otherwise you won't be able to do everything else with as much vigor um can i ask you being in your 20s i think 20s are often a time when you are becoming an adult and then through your 20s you sort of start to really deal with a lot of the traumas from growing up or just like you know thinking about your if you've moved locations so you're now in London but I know you grew up in Peterborough and your show at um, South London Gallery was was from a kind of local phrase upon this rock and I really liked it because of that foundation stone element this idea that like Peterborough is your kind of DNA in a way you know it kind of brought you up can you speak a bit about your relationship with Peterborough and how you feel about it yeah I mean I definitely think yeah I mean I'm exhausted by my 20s because of how much work I'm doing and how much I'm learning and growing constantly. Um, and Peterborough was a place where I didn't feel like I could do that, which is why I left. I think that leaving um, is a really good thing to do. Um, but I return back there more and more in a conceptual sense and in a physical sense as well. I need to go see my mum and dad and brothers and family. Um, but I, I used to really be um I guess jaded by the fact that I was brought up in this small city and living in the suburbs and um then as I moved to London I realized how much that has fed who I am as a person and I guess I again and a kind of thankfulness was present in the show that I did at South London Gallery for Peterborough and for the smallness of it and I say in the talk with Emma Dabbery how grateful I am now for boredom and yeah. what what that's done for me you said boredom is sick yeah boredom <laughs> is sick. <laughs> what that's done for me as an artist I think that that's why my brain doesn't rest on anything because or I I'm constantly entertaining myself you know and I think that I learned how to do that in Peterborough and so yeah, it's it's a beautiful a beautiful thing and but also that that element of community. I love the idea that you had like an auntie who would just drive up un, unannounced, uninvited, just knock on the door and be like, "Hey." And those those moments. But that's almost like what all of us like busy creative people need to remember to to rest but also to have community and loving friendships where there is no purpose. You can't just have chosen a, family. like my friend Nadira yeah. Amrani, the director came around today, literally had a tea for 15 minutes and then left. And it was amazing. I loved it. There was there was zero. It was just like popping yeah. in. Love All that. of my friends and I, it's actually been amazing living in Dalston. I've literally recently just moved, but um, there's a lot of people in my vicinity. And so popping in isn't is it's possible now. I don't think it's been that possible um, in London. I don't know. Maybe we're lazy or maybe there's just a lot going on. And people, you know, getting on a tube doesn't feel like the most natural thing to go and have a 15 minute cup of tea. But I've really craved that so much. And I crave that in my queerness, I think. Um, and it's I'm really honestly in the past few months, I'm really get, gaining that back and seeing friends for you know, before I think I would, you know, I'd make dinner. I'd love, I'd love hosting and I'd love having my, the dolls round, but we'd make dinner and then we get pissed and stay up till 1am. And, you know, that's fucking great. I love doing that. You know, that's, that is the best, but it means that you only do that every so often because you do a big catch up. And so I'm enjoying knowing people, really knowing them 
and not having to get to know them actually anymore. Just knowing them from when they walk in the door for however long it is that they're here and them not having to explain themselves or why they feel the way that they do because I already know because I saw them two days ago. You know, that is a huge power in queerness because there's a, a big opportunity for care that I, I think has been lacking in my life anyway for the past few years. Yeah. Aren't we lucky? Do we so do lucky. That? I yeah, feel like that yeah. of all my friends. Yeah. Apart from Rob, I just feel so. <laughs> I would say the same about you. You're so babe. rude. Um, no, but also the unconditional, isn't it? I think, and and the subtlety of it all. And I think as queer people, we're often made like through force of like the world being against you for existing to have armor, to be strong, to be tough. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a queerness you know, in the reason why we need to be with each other for however many periods of time it is because there is knowing that there is a safety in these friendships and that community yeah yeah and community and like mm. in my photos you know you can tell the people the periods of time where i've had that with people you know because it comes and goes people move on people live their lives people get busier people get quieter um and people need to protect their peace but you know chadira lived around the corner from me when i lived in that flat that the picture was taken in and Chidura is present in a, in a, in a, a certain year, you know, and then someone else is present in another year. And it's also about the different levels of care that friends need to receive. The more I'm around someone, it normally means that we are maybe keeping each other alive a bit more than we normally need to, you know. Yeah, we're helping each other heal even just from like the everyday. Can I, before we move on to our final questions, can I ask you quickly, you know, with Peterborough in mind, I know there's this amazing vitrine that you showed, which has the um, kind of football scarf within it. How important is that kind of like found object vitrine thing? I think you showed it in um, Kunstverein Gartenhaus in Vienna. I collect constantly. My studio is really mostly a storage place for weird things that I like the look of that I don't maybe understand why I like the look of or why I need to have them so a football scarf a t-shirt a pair of jeans um a pair of Dot Martens you know a lot of the stuff comes from my obsession with um subculture and signifiers of subculture and signifiers of identity and I think that if I ever do get a chance to show them I mean normally they come it's it's not mostly research for me so looking at a thing feeling a thing Um, and also wearing a thing has been a kind of performance, I suppose. But yeah, I think I realised with the SLG show that I was like, these things deserve to speak for themselves rather than me speak on behalf of them. Um, And that was photos, family photos that I found, some of them in the frames that I had, you know, taken off the shelves literally without asking my mum. And newspapers old documents that I'd just been, you know, that I'd come across or been given by loved ones and things like that, that do pile up in my studio that I don't really get a chance to really absorb. And that was a really nice moment of also surrounding myself with Peterborough when I'm not there, you know. Um, I wouldn't say that I miss it. I miss family and I miss friends, but maybe I'm... Yeah, I think it's mostly the reminiscing aspect. But I reminisce from a time before myself as well, which is where most of them, the objects come from, is a time before I was around. Um, and I like to have objects around me that, I guess, bring me into the space with them. How the past manifests into the future. 
yeah, exactly. I've spoken about that before. That's a lot, a big part of, yeah, a lot of the work that I do. Because the, photo the photographs are very current, you know, they're very up to date almost. But a lot of the work that I do is very much based around or from, uh, you know, post-war Britain and all of the research that I do is on that and all of the... I mean, like, I'm not very good at reading, as I've said, but academia is very helpful if I can get my head around it. But the ways in which I think come from that, and I think that the ways in which I take photos come stem from an obsession with the past. Amazing. Yeah. We're going to get into our final questions now. I love yes. you. I love you. Obsessed. And you know what? Just keep being yourself because you. it's just the best. Honestly, you light up my whole world every time I see you. I need to come and see you in Margate. And Russ, so just, just Rob. Is that um, Russ, you exist. Russ gets so competitive. It's a Scorpio. I'm going to light up your life as well. It's I hope so. You it's already happening. have. Thank you. Are you <laughs> down? I don't know. When am I going to see you guys in real life ever? IRL or away from keyboard very soon. Okay. <laughs> if you could do an art heist, you can steal any work of art in the world for yourself what would it be and why oh my lord <gasps> dude <laughs> that is such a hard question you knew it was coming right <laughs> yeah, I prepare I went out last night <laughs> um, it might be Felix Gonzalez Torres Clocks actually. perfect lovers yeah mm. I think that that for me uh, it, it's it's been actually especially in recent times I've been I've been going through a very big breakup and that work was quite present in the beginning of the relationship that I had with Maggie hi shout out Maggie love you so much <laughs> um and that idea that you can have these relationships or these moments that start together and can maybe go out of time or come back mm. together is incredibly important in my journey in keeping the love that Maggie and I have for each other you know as big as it can be and so I would say that that's the work that I would steal and I would definitely give it to Maggie oh well this is the for everyone listening this is two clocks that um it's two lovers or perfect lovers and they are at the exact same time but it doesn't make any sense but sometimes they fall out of time even though it's the same time they've got the same they're exactly the same clock but that's that. There's something so beautiful about that that Felix Gonzalez Torres has found, and it's so simple. The falling out of sync, but yet it should it should be in sync because yeah. we just that's what time is. It yeah. doesn't falter. It is what it is. But exactly. these clocks do. And I think that that comes back to this idea of the um, unsanitized queerness as well. The allowance that things are not perfect, and we cannot be perfect at all times there's so much against us I actually have a show I have a show at chapter gallery coming up in October in New York it's my first oh great show. yeah really excited about that and that um is going to be about relationships especially romantic ones queer ones with a focus on Maggie and I actually um we're kind of working together on talking about it but also just recognizing that a lot of it wasn't our fault as an intersectional couple um that have lots of things against us in the world to love in that and to move with grace through this world and to move with grace in sync is such a hard thing to do mm. and so we want to speak more about how we manage to do that and how we're going to continue to do that in some kind of capacity 
Amazing. Well, that's a great gallery. Cheyenne Julian is a. Yeah. I'm a big fan of uh, Cheyenne's work. And is it Nicole Russo? Yeah, Nicole. Here, yeah. Amazing. Great eye. Yeah, brilliant. Oh, congratulations for that. That's very exciting. And the other question we ask every guest is, what is your favourite colour? My favourite colour at the moment is fluorescent beige. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually going to write that down. I want yeah. that on the T-shirt. Um, what is the best advice you've ever received when it comes to your work? Maybe what Adamu was saying the other day about pleasure, you know. Pleasure from start to finish, I think, is important because I do work so autobiographically. I, I don't know, I've had lots of moments where the work has become a lot because of reading things, trying to trying to understand trauma while making work about, you know, all of these different things and blah, 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 blah. It's a lot. It's like having therapy every day constantly. Um, I am also in therapy, which has been a saviour. But yeah, in remembering that pleasure is the goal, I would say is the best advice. All right, well, let everyone listen to that. Pleasure is the goal. This has been uh, incredible. Thank you so much. Your show at uh, the Martin Parr Foundation in Bristol, uh, Girl for the Living Room, opens when, Robert? You know the dates normally. It opens on the 13th of July and it runs for a long time, luckily, until the 17th of September. Oh, so you've got all summer to get to Bristol and see it. And this is the Martin Parr Foundation. You can go to martinparrfoundation.org and also go to reenematic.com and Arcadia Missa. We'll also connect with them. We love them. And um, you can also see uh, Rini, I think, on Instagram. Yes, uh, reenie.matic. And yeah, come say hey. Thank you so much for yeah, speaking You're just the best. It's been heaven. Um, Thank you. So much love for you. And um, we'll be back very soon. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. 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 <laughs> You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode. With music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.